Bienvenidos. Welcome to episode zero of Your Healing Nature, a weekly podcast about how Black, Indigenous people of color are reclaiming the outdoors to heal individual and or collective trauma. I'm your host, Brenda Bessa, and my intention in this episode is to provide you with a map for the journey you're about to go on as you listen to our season one community storytellers. Just a quick note, throughout the episode, you'll hear me use Black, Indigenous people of color, or BIPOC interchangeably as acknowledgement of the specific injustices affecting Black and Indigenous people in the United States. I want to forewarn you that what you're about to hear is not lighthearted. As with all healing journeys, there will be many peaks and valleys. However, my intention is that we begin a process of self-reflection that leads you back to your healing nature. Así es que vámonos, here we go. Bienvenidos. Welcome to Your Healing Nature. I'm your host, Brenda Bessa, coming to you from unceded ancestral land of the Tongva, Payokawicham, Kawia, and Keech peoples, otherwise known as Riverside, California. I think most people would call this their episode one, but I'm calling this episode zero in honor of a number that represents unlimited potential and new adventures. So welcome to New Beginnings. My intention in this episode is to provide you with a lay of the land, why I started the podcast, what are root stories, how is trauma defined in this podcast, and what is your healing nature. So let's start with why. Why this podcast? Why now? For most of 2020, I spent my time reflecting on the collective grief and trauma that Black, Indigenous people of color continued to endure as a result of the pandemic and police brutality. We witnessed one impactful image after another as the grief and violence escalated day after day. The image that remains in my mind is of a sign outside of Chicago's famous Wiener Circle that read, I can't breathe, I can't jog, I can't kneel, I can't watch birds. All of these statements paying homage to George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Colin Kaepernick, and Christian Cooper remind us that well into the 21st century, Black bodies continue to be publicly lynched and or under attack in the United States, but more specifically in outdoor spaces. Whether that be simply walking out of a convenience store in Minnesota, jogging through a neighborhood in Georgia, taking a stand on the football field, or birding in New York City. As these traumatic events unfolded over the course of last year, it was also amazing to witness more BIPOC enjoying outdoor spaces. I witnessed this as I hiked throughout Southern California. I remember summiting Montserrat Mountain in San Diego County and overhearing a Latino family with two little girls about six or seven years old, rejoicing and having survived to the top. One of the little girls called her mother from the summit and said, Mama, estoy bien, llegué which translates to mom, I'm fine, I made it. She then quickly gave the phone to what apparently was her uncle, and he said, hay que enseñarles que si se puede. We have to teach them that yes, they can. And so I started to ponder how the land, the outdoors has been and continues to be 
a historical witness to life-affirming and or traumatic moments in our lives. For many of our ancestors, their way of life was seamlessly connected to the land, to nature, to what we now call the outdoors. However, it only takes us looking at key intersecting histories of U.S. and European colonization to understand how the outdoors also turned into a site of trauma via the Atlantic slave trade, Indian removal, the annexation of Mexico, repatriation raids, Japanese internment camps, and the list goes on. In Braiding Sweetgrass, Dr. Robin Wall Kimmerer writes, quote, it's not just that land is broken, but more importantly, our relationship to land. As Gary Nobhan has written, we can't meaningfully proceed with healing, with restoration, without restoration. In other words, our relationship with land cannot heal until we hear its stories, but who will tell them, end quote. I would add that our relationship with ourselves and each other cannot heal until we hear stories of connection or disconnection to land. Why we feel unsafe, robbed, in need of repair. As a trauma scholar, Gabor Matei has said, the disconnect from the body of the earth has to do with the disconnect from our own bodies. And so this podcast is a humble attempt to start answering Dr. Kimmerer's question and Gary Nobhan's concept of restoration through story our community storytellers tell of their recreation stories that are grounded in their ancestral lineage and at the intersections of their multiple identities as BIPOC. Our storytellers are sponsored athletes, conservationists, outdoor educators, founders of four and nonprofits, urban farmers, creatives, advocates of rare disease and disability, and so much more. They are redefining the great outdoors and reclaiming it to heal individual and or collective trauma. Many of the storytellers that you will hear on this podcast are at the forefront of doing justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion work. Through their stories, you will hear varying perspectives on our need to redefine the outdoors in a way that is inclusive of our multiple intersecting identities and the way we experience the outdoors via our neighborhoods and our access to public land. Root stories. What are they and why do they matter? In forthcoming podcast episodes, you will hear me ask the same question of every storyteller. What is your root story? Therefore, I want to provide you with some context for this concept of root stories. The idea of psychological and spiritual root stories was first coined by Dr. Clarissa Pinkola Estes in her best-selling book, Women Who Run With the Wolves, Myths and Stories of the Wild Woman Archetype. Later, Kat Caracello, artist and founder of the Journey Path Institute, expanded on this concept of root stories. She writes, quote, root stories are like rooted wisdom threaded into your history. When your root stories are rediscovered or unearthed, they offer a space of opening and understanding. These stories may be subtle memories, mythic stories, ancestral memories, and deep history. They contain the light and darkness of the human experience, end quote. And so root stories are always singular and personal, but as you listen to the interviews, you may find yourself resonating with some of the root stories shared by our storytellers. These root stories bring to light just how diverse we are, even within our immediate communities. Oftentimes, our stories are tokenized, homogenized, and peddled out by various industries during our respective heritage months, which dilutes the beautiful complexities of our lived experience. As you can imagine, to share a root story takes vulnerability and trust. 
And for that, I am deeply grateful to our storytellers for entrusting me with their stories and for their openness to share with you. I firmly believe that you should never ask someone to do something you wouldn't do yourself. So in the spirit of community, as well as their trust and vulnerability, I'm going to share one of my root stories with you. The story is what has fueled my incessant need to center intention, purpose, and healing in my life. At age nine, I found myself in a severe state of darkness, locked in my room, curtains closed, avoiding people at all costs. I refused to go to school in the days leading to this complete shutdown. I'd overheard my mother talking to my father in the kitchen. She had been receiving threatening calls. An extended family member who was then incarcerated was being released. My mother was blamed for his incarceration and the calls were not only to inform her of his release, but also that she should watch her back. At the time, my family lived in a house that was built out of mainly glass panes. The thought of going to school terrified me. I was aware that anyone could easily break into our home given the glass panes that acted as walls. This fear sent me into a downward spiral of what felt like extreme sadness and fear for the safety of my loved ones. My refusal to come out of this darkness is what led my mother to take me to a child psychologist. In one of my last sessions, the psychologist asked me, what do you want to be when you grow up? It was the first time anyone had asked me that question. Immediately I said, I want to be a Noticiero 34 like Jorge Ramos. For the record, Jorge Ramos was my childhood crush, so I'm not surprised that was the answer. But I share this root story with you because it was one of my early entry points into Western approaches to healing. Years prior to this, my mother had already introduced me to the work of shamans on the U.S.-Mexico border. Given these threads of my root story, the concept of healing was always in my awareness. Interestingly, for my mother, as well as many of her generation, it was often about finding healing outside of herself. The message I kept receiving as a child was that healing happens when you go to a healer. And so I continued on this healing journey, attempting to stop family patterns that no longer serve me as an individual and or as part of the family collective. As I became an adult, I was intuitively guided to expand my awareness by exploring other modalities of healing, such as Reiki, pranic healing, floating and salinated bodies of water, energy cleansing in the Orisha tradition, womb healing, and past life regression, to name a few. But that core question, what do you want to be when you grow up, also set in motion for me a life of existential crises as I journeyed through each phase of human development. In the years that followed, that question morphed into, where do I fit in? What is my calling? Who have I become as a person? How do I measure success for myself? What value and legacy have I added to people's lives? I understand how privileged I am to even get to ponder these questions. My parents came to this country from Guatemala and El Salvador and have mainly lived their lives in survival mode. Whereas I now, as an adult, get to think about questions that lead to self-actualization. These days, I'm mainly concerned with the last two questions. Of course, I think that my incessant thinking of these last two was fueled by the pandemic and the reality that our physical time on this earth is finite. In fall of 2019, pre-pandemic, I started to make a conscious effort to spend my non-work time outdoors. This was my way of establishing firm boundaries between my career and my personal life. It started as a simple conversation with my friend Flor, who is an avid hiker. We agreed upon some bucket list hikes we wanted to do, and so the training began. 
And although I hiked as part of a small group of friends, those hikers, I ended up hiking alone most of the time for two reasons. One, I'm a slow hiker. And two, I have a pretty bad sense of direction and get lost quite a bit. But little did I know that in that solitude, my time training was actually training for a much larger inward transformation. With every step I've taken, with every elevation gained, Mother Earth, the ultimate healer, began to unshackle me of traditional frameworks for thinking about the rest of my life. The people, places, and things that I prioritized in 2019 are no longer the people, places, and things that I prioritize in 2021. I've heard her loud and clear. There is a season, reason, and a purpose for everything and everyone in our lives. And so as I do the work of healing my inner child and recenter intention, purpose, and healing in my life at this time, I do so in the service of Mother Earth. And this podcast is one way of expressing my gratitude to her as I humbly ask our storytellers to share how Mother Earth nature, land, the outdoors, whatever you want to call her, has created powerful transformative shifts in their lives. How is the land speaking to us through their stories? And how do they speak back to the land and heal her through their day-to-day work? Because as Dr. Kimmerer has said, our individual and collective healing can only begin if we hear the stories coming from the land. It is how we begin the process of restoration to write and tell new stories about ourselves and our relationship to land. Trauma, how is it defined in this podcast? I must preface this section by stating that much of this podcast is framed by my advanced formal training in American studies, which is the study of cultural history from an interdisciplinary perspective and educational counseling, which requires the study of psychology and some of the elements of clinical counseling. For this reason, I want to be clear that our community storytellers are not abiding by the definition of trauma as defined in the fifth edition of the Diagnostic Manual of Mental Disorders, otherwise known as a DSM-5. The DSM-5 definition states that trauma requires, quote, actual or threatened death, serious injury, or sexual violence, end quote. Under this definition, psychosocial stressors such as divorce, job loss, loss of a loved one are not considered trauma. And of course, I disagree. So in this podcast, you will find that trauma encompasses the death of a loved one, abandonment, neglect, bullying, accidents, domestic violence, poverty, unstable housing and financial resources, witnessing and or experiencing racism, war, sexual assault community violence, incarceration, and historical trauma, to name a few. As I continue to reflect on healing individual and or collective trauma in the outdoors, a few organizations immediately come to mind. Girl Trek, Indigenous Women Hike, Armadillos, Alma Backyard Farms, and Disabled Hikers. Girl Trek is the largest national public health nonprofit and movement for Black women and girls, co-founded by Vanessa Garrison and T. Morgan Dixon. And Indigenous Women Hike, a collective of Indigenous women reconnecting with their ancestral lands through hiking, founded by Jolie Varela of the Tule Lake Yoku and Paiute Nations. I start with these two because in 2018, Girl Trek and Indigenous Women Hike walked in honor of their ancestors as a radical act of self-care, restoration, and healing. 
In March 2018, 10 members of Girl Trek's national leadership team walked in honor of Harriet Tubman. In 2013, which marked the centennial of Tubman's passing, Girl Trek launched a campaign to recognize Tubman's legacy, thereby mobilizing thousands of Black women and girls from across the United States to walk in honor of the ultimate freedom fighter with the hashtag, we are Harriet. And so in five days, these 10 amazing black women walked the 100 mile long Harriet Tubman Underground Railroad Byway, which starts from Dorchester County, Maryland and culminates by crossing the Mason-Dixon line into Delaware. This is the route where Tubman made her first escape and the path where she led thousands to their freedom. In an interview reiterating the significance of this walk, T. Morgan Dixon stated, quote, Harriet Tubman saved her own life first and then went back time after time to save the lives of others, giving us the blueprint for the work Girl Trek does today. This is a radical act of self-care at its core, end quote. The act of walking as radical self-care is critical to Girl Trek's mission. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, Black women have the highest rates of coronary heart disease in the United States. And a 2017 report from the Institute for Women's Policy Research found that more than one in seven Black women have been diagnosed with diabetes. Ultimately, Dixon and Garrison believe that if Tubman could walk herself to freedom, then Black women can walk themselves to better health. After all, walking has been a healing tradition not only in Black cultures, but for all Black, Indigenous people of color. It's in our ancestral DNA. Meanwhile, in August 2018, Jolie Varela and seven other phenomenal Indigenous women embarked on the Numuboyo, the People's Trail, which is a 210-mile-long ancestral trade route that connected the Awanichi, Paiute, Miwok, Mono, and other tribes in the Sierra. However, in 1915, it was renamed to the John Muir Trail. The new Mobile starts at what is now called Yosemite National Park and goes through Ansel Adams Wilderness, Sequoia and Kings National Park, and ends at Tumanguya, Mount Whitney, the highest point in the continental United States. Upon leaving Standing Rock, Jolie returned home to Payahunaru, what is now named the Owens Valley in the eastern Sierra Nevada with the intention of healing herself through the land, the original medicine. In an interview with Tazba Rose Chavez, citizen of the Bishop Paiute, Dine, and San Carlos Apache tribes, Jolie stated that, quote, indigenous women hike is an act of love, love for my people, love for the land, and love for myself, end quote. As indigenous women hike embarked on this journey with the intention of honoring their ancestors they traveled without the required permits citing the 1978 American Indian Religious Freedom Act, which protects the rights of indigenous people to exercise their traditional religions by ensuring access to sites, use and possession of sacred objects, and the freedom to worship through ceremonial and traditional rites. And so just like that, these women traveled without permits to travel in ceremony with their ancestors and the land. And as they came across place names such as Squaw Lake, they spoke the indigenous place names aloud in an act of restoration and healing of the land and their ancestors. As Anna Hohag of the Bishop Paiute described the experience to Tazba Rose Chavez, she stated, quote, 
you remind yourself where you are and that your ancestors made these trails and that if they made these for your people, then you can and will do this. We were reminded that we were right where we were supposed to be, walking in our ancestors' footsteps and speaking our new language. We all knew and felt the presence of our ancestors out there at some point in the journey. This experience humanized Mother Earth daily. We relied on her, prayed to her, and thanked her. And now more than ever before, I feel the immense responsibility to do whatever we can to protect her, end quote. Meanwhile, on the United States-Mexico border, brothers Cesar and Alex Ortigosa are co-founders of Armadillos, an autonomous volunteer-based search and rescue team based out of Vista, California. Armadillos hike into the remote desert areas of California and Arizona in search of migrants that have disappeared. Cesar and Alex have experienced firsthand the physical, psychological, and spiritual hardships of migration. It is this knowing that fuels their commitment to help families locate their loved ones dead or alive. As members of Armadillos find deceased bodies, they record the coordinates, plant a white cross, and caution tape the area. Not only is this done to honor the life lost, but to ensure that authorities find the remains, run appropriate DNA tests, and bring closure to the respective families. Because let's be clear, families experience the trauma of migration alongside their loved ones, even if at a distance. On a weekly basis, Armadillos receives at least 45 calls and messages from families located on either side of the border asking for assistance. During the week, Alex works in construction while Cesar works as a plumber. And on their time off, they are doing this heroic work for their communities. Their heart for this work goes above and beyond, as they have been known to use their own salaries to fund the search and rescue work. The work carried out by Armadillos is simply the beginning of a long healing process for the families who have lost loved ones to the desert in search of a better life. Next week in episode one, you will hear more about their work from the amazing Montserrat Alvarez Matejuala, co-founder of Brown Girls Climb who is providing Armadillos with more advanced training in rock climbing to ensure that they can safely retrieve migrants who are located in more challenging terrain. Little over two hours north of the San Diego-Mexico border, you will find Alma Backyard Farms, whose mission is to reclaim the lives of formerly incarcerated people, repurpose land into productive urban farms, and reimagine community as a place for people and plants to thrive. In 2013, Richard D. Garcia and Erica Cuellar co-founded Alma Backyard Farms. And since then, they've been doing the important work of revitalizing underutilized urban land and bringing much needed healing and restoration to the lives of youth from disinvested communities, juvenile offenders, and formerly incarcerated individuals. Embedded in the very name Alma Backyard Farms, is the acknowledgement that food insecurity and a broken justice system are issues that are happening in our own backyards. Alma is reimagining community care, the environmental stewardship, experiential education, their job training program in urban agriculture, and their farm stand social enterprise. As formerly incarcerated individuals learn the ins and outs of urban farming, they surrender to a natural healing process that happens as they plant seeds, grow food, harvest, and then give or sell back to the community they've harmed. I say give 
Because in the thick of the pandemic, the Alma Backyard Farms team was on the front lines giving away 250 grocery kits on a biweekly basis. And today, we will end our journey in the Pacific Northwest with the critically important work being done by Siren Nagakairi through a project called Disabled Hikers. In March 2018, Siren launched Disabled Hikers to counter the pervasive ableism of the outdoor community. This project was born out of Siren's sense of loneliness as a self-identified disabled queer person in the outdoors. Before moving forward, I want to briefly mention that Siren goes by pronouns they, them, and refers to themselves as disabled, not a person with a disability. In an article with Outside Magazine, Siren recalls finding solace in nature as they observed flora and fauna in their family's backyard. As a child, Siren was diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, a rare connective tissue disorder that causes frequent joint dislocations and chronic pain. And they've also been diagnosed with postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, which causes individuals to feel dizzy and fatigued when standing up from a reclining position. In early 2018, Siren was hiking a quote unquote easy trail. This hike reminded them that once again, they were encountering a hike that was rated easy for an able-bodied person with complete disregard for how a disabled person might experience the trail. Their frustration at the lack of information and resources for disabled people fueled the creation of Disabled Hikers with four goals in mind. One, to organize group hikes for disabled individuals. Two, to celebrate the experiences of disabled people. Three, to facilitate those experiences by making specific information available. And four, advocating for change in the outdoors. Since the inception of Disabled Hikers, Siren has built a database of trail information for accessible hikes across the Pacific Northwest, and they are in the process of writing a book entitled The Disabled Hiker's Guide to Western Washington and Oregon. If the literal definition of healing is the process of becoming sound and healthy again, then I can't think of a more healing definition of hiking than the one expressed by Siren in Outside Magazine. They state, quote, I define a hike as anything that you're doing outside, any form of movement, whether that's moving in a chair or walking or biking, end quote. In the spirit of Siren's definition, this podcast defines the outdoors to be anything that happens outside, whether that be walking the Harriet Tubman Underground Railroad Byway, through hiking the Numu Boyo, recovering the bodies of migrants in the desert, experiencing nature through urban farming, or moving in a chair. As far as I am concerned, these individuals are healers, healers of the historical trauma that was experienced and witnessed by Mother Earth and their ancestors. And this healing extends to the trauma that continues to be experienced by present-day Black, Indigenous people of color queer, and or disabled individuals as a result of ongoing systemic oppression experienced inside and outside the United States. And it is through these individuals that we learn about the stories held by the land. This is Restoriation. And lastly, what is your healing nature? The logo represents the reciprocity between us and Mother Earth. I truly believe that we are all healers. Every word we speak, every action we take has the potential to be a healing prayer. 
The logo created by Linda Dawn illustrates the power that Mother Earth has to heal us if we are receptive to receiving. By the same token, we have the capacity to heal her in return and in gratitude for all that she continues to give us, all that she has witnessed. This is the only way to engage in restoration and write new stories about our relationship to Mother Earth. Inherent in the name Your Healing Nature is also the assumption that you are your own healer. How you journey back and step into that power and awesome responsibility is up to you. Our community storytellers can only share their root stories, pearls of wisdom, and the tools that helped and continue to help them on their healing journeys. But it is up to you to do the heavy, beautifully, and perfect work of healing your light and shadow self. So instead of doing the mandatory call to action, I'm going to sign off and leave you with a call to reflect in the hopes that with time, it moves you to positive action. As you listen to the stories, I'd like for you to reflect on what are your root stories? How do you define the outdoors? Is your definition inclusive or have you internalized the mainstream definition of the great outdoors? What parts of yourself need healing? How are you showing up for Mother Earth? How are you showing up for yourself and the BIPOC community? I hope that reflecting on these questions will lead you through a process of restoration to write new stories that contribute to our collective healing, but above all, may they lead you back to your healing nature. So I invite you to embark on this journey with us to build community, to engage in storytelling about and through the land, to release, to heal, to shine. I can't sign off without expressing my gratitude because this podcast would not have been possible without community. I am indebted to all season one community storytellers for agreeing to be on this podcast without even knowing me. Thank you for your kindness, generosity, and love for community. These individuals are Montserrat Alvarez Matejuala, Jose Gonzalez, Amanda Zul Jameson, Parker McMullen Bushman, Shelma Jun, Richard D. Garcia, Cam Redlosk, Sonia Nicole Staples, Kenya and Michelle Jackson Salters, and John Tateshi. I'd also like to give a big thank you to Bruce James and Bella Black of James and Black, the most amazing R&B and soul duo. Thank you for giving me permission to use your song, Everyday Walking in Sunshine, as the theme song for this podcast. The minute I heard it, I knew it was meant for this. Please check out James and Black at jamesandblack.org and follow them on Instagram at james.and.black. And on one last note, I'm going to ask for your grace in advance. Much of what you will hear in season one is me trying to figure out the technical aspects of podcasting. So season one will be raw and imperfect like all healing journeys. And next Sunday, November 21st, I'll release episode one. Our first community storyteller is Montserrat Alvarez Matejuala, co-founder of Brown Girls Climb, outdoor research sponsored athlete, the 2021 recipient of Outdoor Retailers Emerging Leader Award, outdoor advocate, educator, then something poet. We discuss rock climbing as a healing practice, her epic summit of Ixtasigua in Puebla, Mexico, and all things familia y comunidad. So please tune in. If you're interested in reading any of the books and research cited in this episode, please see the show notes. Thank you all so much for listening, and I look forward to going on this journey with you. Thank you all so much for sticking with me through the entire episode. In the show notes, you will also find the websites and social media handles to all the wonderful organizations mentioned in this episode. 
I urge you to learn about them and consider donating and or volunteering your time to help them advance the work of justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion in the outdoors. To remain connected, please follow us on Instagram at underscore yourhealingnature or email us at info at yourhealingnature.com. Lastly, I'd love for this podcast to be as collaborative as possible. Therefore, BIPOC community, if there's a topic, theme, or guest you'd love to hear from as it relates to healing trauma in the outdoors and or rethinking the outdoors, please let me know. Mil gracias. Until next time, keep walking in sunshine. on the moon.